What we found then during the pandemic is more people actually tried telehealth and oh my gosh, they actually liked it. So that was an incredibly pleasant surprise. Good day and welcome to another Hymns podcast. I'm Bill Sawicki, managing editor of Healthcare IT News, a Hymns media publication. Today we'll be talking about a wide variety of topics from one of the hottest areas of health IT, telehealth. And I have a great guest to offer you an in-depth look at the state of the field. She is Anne Moan Johnson, CEO of the American Telemedicine Association. Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be with you, and I appreciate the opportunity. I have some questions for you today, Anne, so let's jump right in. First, uh, looking at telemedicine today, after the surge throughout the early to middle stages of the pandemic that finally brought the technology into the mainstream, it seems that the future of telehealth is a hybrid model with in-person care. I'm wondering, um, can you talk about what this hybrid will look like and how it may change healthcare? Absolutely. And I would say by way of background for your audience who may not be familiar with us, the HEA represents over 400 organizations, including delivery systems, academic medical centers, payers, and solution providers. So we have a very diverse membership and really have convened them uh, around this vision that people should get care where and when they need it. And that when they do, they know it's safe, effective, and appropriate while enabling clinicians to do more good for more people. And I point this out because hybrid is just a normal extension of what we're trying to do, which is really ensure that more people get access to health. We had a problem pre-pandemic with making sure that all Americans had access to good quality medicine. And the only way you can solve that is using technology in conjunction with the face-to-face or the in-person model. And so what we found then during the pandemic is more people actually tried telehealth and oh my gosh, they actually liked it. So that was an incredibly pleasant surprise. And so now as we're balancing between 100% virtual to something less than 100%, and of course that varies by different service lines and parts of the country, as well as age cohorts, it seems that Really, what will happen is that the future of healthcare is a hybrid model. And it's really an essential component of ensuring that people get care in behavioral health, which had an enormous problem pre pandemic um, in terms of access, cardiology, family medicine, rehab. Um, I think all of these lines of service have seen an incredible uptake. Of course, there are always going to be instances where people need to be face-to-face in person, and so we don't claim that telehealth is a panacea, but we really do see it as a modality of care that should be one of many that a clinician can choose from as they work with their patient and as they consult with other physicians or clinicians. What will be necessary to establish telehealth as a permanent modality in care delivery? Well, that's a great question. And the most important thing is to ensure that our state and federal policymakers and lawmakers make the flexibilities that were put in place during the pandemic, make those permanent. In other words, we don't want to go off what we call the telehealth cliff. And so we have had a lot of success in convening the 
diversity of our broad community, the telehealth community, digital virtual telehealth, and created ATA Action uh, earlier this year. And ATA Action is our affiliated trade association. It's a 501c6. And it's really focused on the advocacy work that is required both at the federal and the state level to ensure that telehealth flexibilities become permanent. So what I mean by that is that the ATA created policy principles, the 501c3 that our 400 plus organizations are members of, they created policy principles before the pandemic. And we said telehealth is, you know, we're venue, modality, device agnostic or neutral, that we think telehealth is health, it's modality of care, um, that we have to make sure that we maintain privacy, that we protect against cyber, you know, we, we take steps in terms of cybersecurity. And so those principles are really what inform the advocacy work of ATA action. And again, there's not only work that has to be done at the federal level, but in a whole host of different states. So some examples of those are, you know, basically, it repeal any in-person requirement for telemental health services. The idea that you should have some sort of arbitrarily established regular in-person check-in is just, it doesn't make sense. And so we really wanna make sure that those restrictions and requirements are removed. That we wanna be able to and continue to allow providers to prescribe control substances via telemedicine, regardless of whether the patient is in a hospital or in their home. We wanna make sure that telehealth is covered under a federal program, such as FQHCs or federally qualified health centers and rural health centers and the Indian Health Service. And then we wanna improve the ability to provide healthcare across state lines while maintaining the state authority to regulate clinical practice. Um, and then we want to really align Medicare coverage of remote patient monitoring with how it's actually practiced and finally increase access to broadband for all Americans. So you can see that there's quite a bit that has to be done. But again, it's not just what has to be done at the federal level. Every single state um, or many of the states in the U.S. have different legislation that they're pushing that some of which is quite positive as it relates to telehealth and some of it is less so. The American Telemedicine Association, I know, has been very active in federal and state policy to ensure these flexibilities uh, put in place during the pandemic will become permanent following the public health emergency. I'm wondering if you can address the current telehealth policy priorities and challenges. Yes, absolutely. And I touched on a few of those during the prior question, but let me recap some of those. The first one is to avoid in-person requirements or check-ins. And these are provisions in laws that mandate, for example, telehealth delivery of care um, in person or having a prior in-person relationship or having some sort of check-in process on a arbitrary time frame. All of that needs to be put aside and, and we really feel strongly about it. And even if, um, the legislation or the proposed law is, um, I guess, stop, and you're going to add that out, Steve, because I'm getting into territory that I don't want to inflame anybody. Um, the other area, the second area that we want to make sure is uh, focused on and that we're addressing 
is to allow states, you know, the state licensing boards and practitioners to determine the appropriate standards of care for patients. And this is really an important feature. And if you think about it, removing the in-person requirement for telemental health services that was in the Consolidated Appropriation Act, those are things that have to be removed. We also wanna permanently remove the geographic and originating site barriers and statute. Again, appreciating that some of these laws were put in place 14 years before the iPhone was invented. So it never contemplated the technology that we have available. The whole idea that the originating site should be wherever the patient is located, including but not limited to their home. And then finally, untie HHS's and providers' hands by enhancing the HHS's authority to determine appropriate telehealth services and providers. So I think these are really examples. And, and you know, the other thing that I think is important is that we want to be prepared for the next emergency. I think one thing that we've really understood from all this is that there will be another one. And so we want to make permanent HHS's temporary waiver authority for future emergencies. And in all of this, we are strong proponents of supporting program integrity. So the whole idea of healthcare fraud, wasted abuse, we don't think it happens disproportionately with telehealth. Um, so we support any effort to make sure that it's, it's maintained, but we're not making a distinction between in-person versus virtual. The APA, I know, has established the CEO's advisory group on using telehealth to eliminate disparities and inequities. And this is a diverse group of leaders from health systems, community organizations, payers, vendors, and policy to address disparities. So please talk about the conclusions of the group's first report, which is titled, A Framework for Eliminating Health Disparities Using Telehealth. Absolutely, and this is really exciting work, Bill. And I think uh, the, the group is incredibly proud of what they've put together as they should be. The advisory group is co-chaired by Christy Henderson, who is the chair of the ATA board and also with Optum. Yasmeen Winkler, who is another member of the ATA board and a managed care executive, and then Ron Wyatt, who is a physician who has studied and written extensively on systemic racism in healthcare. And the advisory group's objective is to advance this framework or roadmap for addressing disparities, because recalling what I said at the onset of our talk, it's really well-established that we have a problem with access to care. And so what's happened during the pandemic is a spotlight, if you will, um, being focused on something that had been in place for quite some time and rec recognizing the unevenness that it's not just rural communities, but it's urban communities as well where there are medical deserts. And so what we also want to make sure we did was advance the notion with this framework, which is the first work product out of the group, that you can get rid of or you can address issues of connectivity, broadband and internet. And if you don't, if that's where you stop, you still would, will have not have solved the problem. And so what I mean by that is connectivity is the tip of the iceberg. And so that's how we've conveyed it as a pyramid. Below that is a level uh, we call affordability. 
And it's not just affordability of the service, it's affordability of the data plan. So as you know, people, if they're using um, their phone and their data plan to do telemental health services, you can go through quite a bit um, using that plan uh, for a needed counseling and services. And so we wanna make sure that that's addressed. The next level that we talk about is literacy, and that's both health literacy and digital literacy. And so hoping that people can just use the tool or the device and not give them any guidance, recognizing that we have often fallen flat in user experiences uh, in terms of healthcare, that's, that's a missed opportunity that we have to call out. And then there are a whole host of other issues that we need to address as um, community, as care teams. And this has to do with things like structural competence, the ability to work with patients across different cultures, inclusiveness, and then, you know, recognizing the fact that if you don't have, you know, if you don't address the issue of trust, for example, you can have all these other issues, but these foundational layers also have to be addressed. So I'm very excited and pleased with the traction that we've gotten, the way many organizations have adopted this framework and really literally, you know, use it internally. And I'm excited about the work that's still coming out of the work group. So thank you for asking. That sounds great. I hope, uh, I hope we see a lot more from that group in the, in the months and years to come. Absolutely. Um, well, that is our podcast for today. I'd like to thank our special guest, Anne Moan Johnson, the CEO of the American Telemedicine Association. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Bill. And HIMS podcast listeners, stay tuned. Another podcast will be on the way.